Welcome back. So I am rereading a book called Zero to One by a guy named Peter Thiel. And there is a section where he talks about his interview style and the hiring process. In particular, he likes to ask the following question. What important truth do very few people agree with you on? Here is the rest of the passage, and it's relatively short. Quote, this question sounds easy because it's straightforward. Actually, it's very hard to answer. It's intellectually difficult because the knowledge that everyone is taught in school is by definition agreed upon. And it's psychologically difficult because anyone trying to answer must say something she knows to be unpopular. Brilliant thinking is rare, but courage is an even shorter supply than genius, end quote. Now you're probably wondering, how does this relate to trail and ultra running? Well, I came across a really interesting Instagram post from a former professional slash ambassador level ultra runner who just gave a really honest look at some of the biggest issues with athlete sponsorship in our sport. They made a lot of great points that people weren't talking about publicly, at least until now. The author stated their truth, probably broke a few unwritten rules in our sport educated some people on the ugliness of how these programs can work. And now in my opinion, we're better off for it because we're aware we have the knowledge to act and to make things better. And yeah, I wanted to give them a shout out because I love people that shake up things to make it better. You know, that don't take the status quo for granted. And um, hopefully we can provide a platform for the conversation I'm referring to soon on this show. I'll keep you posted. Okay, on to the episode. Welcome, Logan Williams. Logan is a professional runner for Solomon in Satisfied Running based in the Lake Tahoe area. Uh, we became good friends about two years ago while he was still living in Salt Lake City. He is always someone I enjoy sharing miles with. And when I started this pod, I was determined to get one of our conversations on the record. We finally did it. Line for line, conversation thread for conversation thread, this one has a lot of freaking wisdom imparted in a single recording. Logan is just that good. Regardless of where you are in your running journey, whether you are a casual runner, a weekend warrior, a committed amateur, a pro, I am confident you have multiple takeaways to work with across basically any area of life after listening to this one. At its core, this is an episode about the importance of discovering and going all in on your identity from a runner's point of view. And, uh, whether this finds you mid-long run and commute on a long road trip, I hope you can relax and enjoy. There is some goodness coming to your ears in three, two, one. Okay, first of all, Logan, it has been way too long of a time coming and we haven't even spoken in like six months a i miss you b welcome to the single track podcast i miss you too dude thanks for letting me be a part of this oh That's yeah well I'm, I'm, I'm trying to round up all of the most well-spoken people that i know in the ultra running <laughs> world and you're high on that list so thank you i should be thanking you <laughs> well now i got big shoes to fill for the rest <laughs> of you let's see if i hopefully i don't disappoint sorry to set up that crazy high expectation no worries um, dude before we get into it uh obviously i've been following your racing career and just wanted to give you huge props at broken arrow sky race series uh okay. winning the yeah. triple crown and then obviously the performance at lake sonoma too man you're you're doing us proud here in the wasatch thanks man yeah, those were some fun, especially coming off the torn Achilles. Those were like, I was very happy with like those performances with like just a, two months of training. So I was just like, just getting the ball rolling, just getting back on the horse. 
honestly, it doesn't surprise me. And it doesn't surprise me for a lot of reasons, but I remember the first time I met you, I think it was September, 2019, and you were in between the Wasatch and the bear. I didn't know that, but you joined us like the week after Wasatch for what we thought was going to be like a 20 mile long run, I think on the uh, mid mountain trail in park city. Yeah. It ended up being 30, but anyways, my first impression of you was running a 30 mile long run at elevation a week after Wasatch and then going on to crush the bear like two weeks later. So yeah. Congrats. Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm building you up too much right now. This isn't good. <laughs> I know. I'm scared now. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> wasn't nervous until now. Uh, cool, man. Well, hey, for anybody that doesn't know who you are and, and what you're up to these days, just give us a little bit of a background on uh, your time in the sport and what you're doing right now and where you're based and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so like just a very short introduction. My name's Logan Williams. Um, I'm currently based in Truckee, California. Um, I moved out here in May after spending three years in the Wasatch, which is how I know Finn and all of the incredible people out there. Um, and that's really kind of like where running started for me before uh, living in the Wasatch. I was in Boulder, Colorado, and then Denver um, for about seven years, which is where I started running like in my uh, early 20s. I've been running for five years now. Um kind of like Finn, I've come from a non-traditional running background and kind of just stumbled into the sport. Um, currently, I am a BART attorney in the state of Nevada and working as a judicial law clerk for the chief justice um, down here in the second judicial court. So that's been kind of fun. And um, as a runner, I run professionally for uh, Solomon and Satisfy Running Company two really cool brands. And I want to get into both of those later in the show, but I like to start these conversations off with a pretty standard question. And that is what is exciting you most about trail and ultra running these days? Yeah. So like you sent me these questions about a week ago. And so I've actually had time to like sit down and think about it. Um, and you'll come to see that today is going to be a lot of, um, drawing parallels between running and music and art and these other facets, um, that, that I draw my inspiration from. And I was thinking today about like how it's been really cool. Like some of my favorite artists over the last few years have created these like genre blending albums where they're taking, um, different styles of music from all over the place and blending them into like these incredible records that you would never have really seen coming before. Um, and they're kind of like pushing the bounds of like, their genre in a in a direction that is holistic and like very cool um and like one of my favorite bands right now turnstile they did this album where they're a hardline punk band but they were drawing um harmonious synths jazz lines like funky bass riffs and so like they were kind of taking like jazz country folk melodic metal and like kind of just blending this all together in something that like I've never really thought was like kind of like in this genre. Yeah. That's that's kind of like how ultra running is becoming and like trail running is like, we're seeing a lot of these people who are coming from all of these facets of life and ending up in this sport. And it's cool to see like how ultra running is kind of this like genre blending of an athlete and how running itself is becoming almost this like blending of genres between like the road, the track, the trail, the ultra. Um, I think Grayson Murphy, a little while ago kind of put it out there about doing these like this three-day race series where it's like you're on the track one day you're on the roads the next day and then you're on the trails the third day yes um and kind of like blending this all together and to me that was like wow like we're truly now blending the genres of running and what that does is, is it creates this like unlimited potential um whether that's performance um 
courses, endeavors, records, different athletes coming in, strengths, weaknesses. Like it's going to bring out so many different facets of the sport that I think we've hardly touched. Um, like if you look at this year, like we've had the inaugural running of like a 250 mile race down in Arizona with the Cocodona. So cool. Um, and then we've also had like Jim Walmsley who put his name in for the Olympic qualifiers. And so like we have all of these athletes going all the different ways within the sport, whether it's laterally um, or horizontally. And it's just so cool to see that blending um, because now running is becoming just that, like it's the act of running. And I feel like now it's no longer this distinct separation between trail and roads. Like we're actually becoming like almost a holistic sport in a way. And I see that definitely progressing as it moves forward, um, especially with athletes like race Grayson and Matt Daniels and Jim Walmsley and uh, Joe Gray, who are like come from these road running backgrounds and are blending it with now the trails. I love the reference to music there at the top of that comment. One thing I've always admired about artists is you can really easily catalog the elements of their careers. I wish we had that similar focus in ultra running. Like we could think of like elements of our career. Like we think of albums in the music industry. I think I've talked with Blaine, you know, Blaine, obviously we've talked about this a lot. Like how do you, how do you catalog the creativity in our sport? Like they do in music. And you just made me think of that again. So that's really cool. I think that's like such an interesting thing because our sport is pretty much like very solitary by, by its nature. Um, and we don't oftentimes want to associate our development and our maturation publicly like a mm. band does. Cause if you think about it, like the band's maturation occurs in the time between the release of albums, but it's cataloged at the release of an album. Um, and so I think like the best way to kind of look at it is like the Jim Walmsley story. Um, his story is very well cataloged as is his maturation as an athlete. Yeah. So like you can see like he is obviously like you can trace his almost like album career through like his performances at States because he's gone back so many times. Um, and so I think if we all focused on like somehow creating our own storybooks, if we had like one race or like efforts that we just constantly went back to, we could somehow do that. But it's such an interesting paradox of like, should we? even think about doing this is it or is it something that would even like take root in the sport in the way that like an album releases yeah well we've had this long-standing thread on the show about quote-unquote the right way to do social media and as i think about it now this would be a way i think for athletes to be positive on social media and to be really generative on social media and to put out things that when someone's reading it they can say that's someone else's life that's someone else's career but when I read this, I'm picking up tidbits that I can apply to my own life. So yeah, I think it's a great way to look at the sport. And I think it's a great way for pro athletes like yourself, for example, to resonate with the average runner like myself or, you know, anybody else that follows your career. So yeah, Grayson was a good example too. Also, uh, you know, I think of Sage candidate cause he had that any surface, any distance, yeah. uh, tagline, which I think is, you know, say what you want about Sage, but I, that's a cool thing. And I think it was pretty descriptive of what our sport's all about. Yeah. Well, the athletes at least right now. No, I definitely agree. Um, like, I, I think we're all at some level trying to still figure it out and we will be until the day we stop running. Yeah. Um, and it's just such an interesting thing where it's like, we'll always think about this. Like, it's like a band, like a band continues to progress and mature and test their style throughout their tenor. And as yeah. do all athletes, um, 
we'll always step up to different and new exciting things to test our grit, our stamina, our speed, like what have you. Um, we'll always try something new. And I think that's something so cool about like that comparison. Um, is that like, we rarely think about the parallels between the two. Are there any athletes in our sport right now? I know you mentioned Jim and Grayson. Are there any other athletes in our sport that you think are living this out really well right now that you look to for inspiration? Um, yeah, to be honest, um, we'll kind of like delve this out. I think a little bit more in the podcast. I typically tend to, to not follow athletes within our sport. Um, interesting. Uh, especially this last year and this last summer, I kind of like withdrew from the sport and like the news of the sport. Um, for my like personal health reasons and studying for the bar, it was just like, it was another thing on my mind where like running had become my escape. And so like my relationship with running had done almost a 360 where I had gone from loving it to wanting to perform and then kind of like the pressures of performing and then back to seeing the privilege of the act itself and like the beauty within just the simple act of running. Yeah. And so I didn't want to like, always have running on my mind, except for when I was running, like that was my time to like take a step back and like, Mm. just kind of find a flow and like a state of it. Um, but throughout the years, I think people I've turned to, um, Adam Merriman does a really good job. Um, a incredible runner based out of, uh, golden Colorado. Um, I think Matt Daniels too, has done a really good job. Uh, I really also look up to, Darren Thomas out here in Reno, um, another one of the Solomon athletes. Um, I'm going to also kind of go out and say, um, like Joe Grant, um, kind of blending of the genres between like his artistic endeavors, um, without sounding too cliche Anton. Um, I feel like everyone in our sport has somehow in some way been influenced by him. Um, and it's it's so funny to see that but i think he's doing amazing things too um and truly blending like the philosophical side of life with running um yeah Joe Grant is the artistic side um kyle richardson with his music um tempo with his uh fkta attempt up long's peak truly yeah. blended music with running I just, I just linked to that in the newsletter this yeah. week yeah he's fantastic um and so i think those are like the runners that like i've kind of like gravitated towards and like the way that they approach it um which is so interesting because like many of them aren't really like prevalent in like the stage of like competition yeah uh, they're but, great athletes but to your point i see them just as much as artists in a lot of ways and yeah and honestly to reaffirm anton i just listened to his conversation with dylan and that just reaffirmed my love for him i mean just the way he thinks about the sport the way he uh is just well-rounded like seeking out influences outside the sport which we can talk about here if you want to he's just a renaissance man in a lot of ways and uh i salute him for that but yeah you said outside the sport who are you looking to right now so right now it's like i've been on a huge nietzsche kick um which is kind of an interesting one uh and, and like, by the way, but, but for anyone that's not philosophically inclined, can you give them like the spark notes of Nietzsche and just some of his philosophy that you abide by? Frederick Nietzsche is a German philosopher whose works were translated um, and kind of coming out during the World War II rise of Nazi Germany. So there's kind of this like weird stigma around him off. A lot of his translations, though, actually came through his sister, um, who published a lot of his works um, posthumously. Um, I think I will be wrong. I could be wrong about that. Um, but he's kind of like considered the father, the father of nihilism, um, within philosophy, which I think is like kind of a 
a little bit of a misconception. He was like actually more of an optimist when he truly starts to like delve into his works. He, he had this profound beauty um, to the human soul and the human spirit. I think he um, kind of through my personal interpretation and like from what I've read about through him, through other scholars is that like, he just believed that we were flawed. Mm. And so we had all of this beautiful potential, but because we are flawed, we fall short oftentimes um, of this potential. But yeah, I've been rereading a, gay science which is like one of his um major works and they're like combinations of like short stories and like poems but two of them that like really resonated with me are called rust and up and they're actually following the same page rust goes you need some rust sharpness does not suffice else you will you will seem too young and too precise Mm. and up goes if you want to get to the peak you ought to climb without giving it too much thought yeah. And so like, those have been ones that have really resonated with me this year. Um, and with running especially, um, cause oftentimes we, we do tend to overthink how we want to get to our metaphorical top or our peak. Um, and oftentimes we lose so much of the journey and so much of the, the enjoyment of the actual act, um, by overthinking the very moment that we're in. Wow. I'm going to create an intentional pause there just for a second, dude. That was awesome. Yeah. Before we get into some, the rest of the conversation, are there any particular philosophical works that you recommend the audience go in and give a read? Ooh, uh, I'm going to recommend gay science right off the bat. Okay. Um, I think that's like the best way to kind of like delve into this theory. Um, the Walter Kaufman translation, he does an excellent job laying them side by side with the original German and then the English translation and his preface is a beautiful kind of history of Nietzsche as well. Um, I, I think that that's probably like where I would start. Yeah. Like the philosophical side Um, from the artistic side, if you haven't seen it, um, war or running of the bulls by Pablo Picasso has also been like one of my largest inspirations Mm. um, with running um, this year. And so like, I, I find myself kind of ruminating on that piece quite a bit when I run, which is kind of interesting. We will link to it all in the show notes. Very cool. We've been talking about creativity. And I think a lot of the creativity in our sport comes from the fact that so many athletes come from non-traditional backgrounds. Like they're not brought up right through the running ranks in middle school and high school and college, yourself included. And I'm curious, I mean, you're now running at a professional level for Solomon. What are some of the elements of your past athletic lives that you think have actually helped you become successful in this sport? and that you still utilize to some degree. Hmm. This, this one kind of had me like kind of pondering because um, the two major sports I did growing up were soccer and skiing, um, alpine ski racing. So downhill yeah. racing. Um, and then in college, it translated more toward climbing um, after living abroad for a little bit. And um, I think within sock, within climbing and skiing, it's the concept of, it's an isolated sport like running is. So it's just yeah. your, your self accountability. Um, but you're with a team, unlike running for the most part. Um, and so it's just like your ability to perform as an individual is based on you and the work you put in your team can be there as much as they want, but it's all up to the work that you put in. Um, and so having that kind of translate into running, like, uh, in a, we're in a sport that rewards consistency, I think over talent, 90, 90% of the time. Yeah. Um, and talent is honed with consistency. 
Um, so if you're talented and you put the time in, you'll do great things because um, you're predisposed to it. But if you're also the non-traditional runner and you just keep putting the time in, you'll also do great things because it's rewarded in the sport. Um, it's just whether or not you want to put the time in every day. And so like that, truly having like that conversation with yourself um, about the why you do it, um, it will kind of like translate into the how you do it. Um, but yeah, just consistency. And then from soccer, it's just the team aspect. Like I'm always, I've always really found myself trying to be like a community driven runner. Um, cause I miss the aspects of like the soccer team. Uh, I was just going to ask. Yeah. I think like, I don't know if I missed the actual like team performance aspect of everything, um, where you're relying on everybody else in these, like for the, for the game, I do like the individual side of running. Cause it's, it's self-accountability like in a nutshell. Um, but I do miss like the team aspects and like traveling with the team training, competing, that camaraderie, um, of soccer is like something that I really miss. And like, I try to incorporate when I can into running, I'm going to make some very broad statements here, but do you think that because of the nature of our sport and because of the type of person it attracts, you know, and I'm, I'm assuming here that a lot of athletes are very individualistic and they like individual pursuits. Do you think that because of the nature of the athlete in our sport, it's going to be hard to cultivate that team aspect, or do you see ways that it could exist here? I think it, it is innately going to be a little harder. Um, cause like you said, like at first blush, we're a little bit more of a standoffish crowd. Um, like <laughs> we don't like change and we don't like other people. Um, for the most part, I feel like, um, there is like very much like the old guard of the sport. Yeah. Um, and the new guard who is just pretty much the old guard, but a little younger. And I think it'll always be that way. Like we're a sport of gatekeepers in a weird sense, especially within the community, but it, it's also like. I was talking to a few people about this, like it's a safety thing too. Now with the huge influx of people coming into the sport, gatekeepers are becoming a little bit more necessary because a lot of people are stepping up to these objectives that might be a little too much, but are trending or that yeah. they've seen the Strava profile of. And when you start doing that and you start having these issues, like with the world, like with the increase in search and rescues, deaths, um, yeah like the maroon bells like the uh yeah the maroon bells out in aspen yep. like the, the rescue rates are going up every year steadily and steadily and when that happens you're putting not only your own life at risk but then the lives of the search and rescue people who are out there volunteering volunteering their time they're not mm -hmm. getting paid um and so it's just this this conundrum of like okay it's cool to get people outside like obviously we all get outside and like we all had those moments of like looking at somebody's Strava or like looking at somebody's route or like right up and then going on trying to emulate it. Um, but it, I think as more people are getting into it, it's, it's becoming more of this, like, I think there's a lot of pride in like the old guard saying like, no, we're not going to share our routes. We're not going to share our write-ups anymore. Like this isn't something that everyone should be doing. Um, so I think that's going to be hard to create a team atmosphere when, you have a group who is largely reserved and like wanting to kind of maintain the way that the sport was. And then a new group of people who are trying to get into the sport and putting themselves out there, but are meeting with some resistance. And so like resistance begets resistance yeah. a lot of the time. And so I think it's going to be hard to have a team atmosphere. Um, but as we see the rise of non-traditional entrants, I think that it's going to become more and more possible Um especially like we've, I know we've talked about this extensively, like the totally. rise of 
an AZ and Tin Man and the infatuation with that and the Cowboys. Yes. Um, but also like now Tin Man's no more. Like Tin Man's gone, the coach and the Cowboys are largely disbanded as a group. They're all individual right. partners now pursuing their thing, right. which is fantastic. Um, so it's, I see this, the need for teams in the sport. I see that it's going to be difficult to implement. And if it is implemented, I think that they're going to be these really beautiful, like short bursts that like propel a group of athletes to a stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like but, with the cat, like with the Cowboys, it just so happened that they all decided that the, the 2018 Western States 100 was going to be like their focus race. And you know, how, how uncommon is it for seven elite runners to have the same fo- schedule? It's just yeah. so hard to align that stuff. But yeah, to your point for myself, all I ever knew until I was 25 was that you played sports with large groups of people and in teams and you practice together and all that kind of stuff. And then you get into this world of running, which is amazing on so many levels, but that is such, such a gap. So I don't know if it'll ever be a, a thing in our sport that makes sense, but we're starting to use the word team a lot. I mean, like, you know, you run for the Solomon team. There's an Adidas team. Yeah. You know, when we think about sponsored athletes, the, the, t- the word team is used. And so I'll be closely watching how much these teams actually mirror the teams that we see in other sports. Yeah. And like to your point there, like this year, like running for the Solomon team, like we did have a, like a team atmosphere, like our, our athlete managers was incredible about creating this community of like athletes. Um, and like whenever we traveled to races, like we stayed together at Sonoma, like yeah. at Bercanero, yeah. we had, I think like 18 of us there. And like some of us weren't racing. Some of us were like, some of us were doing one event three, like it was just this incredible blending. And like when we were together, it's like we were having pizza and beers in the team condo and 20, 25 people there, like the teammates and the significant others. And it just felt like a team. Like that was it. Like it was just like every, and everyone's out there rooting for each other. And so like, that was really cool to see because it, it did feel like to your point as a team and like, we're starting that shift into yeah. having these teams and not just like, I run for X or yeah. I run for Y it's like, no, I run for the X team or yeah. the Y team. Um, and I think that's really cool. A part of me wonders like on a day-to-day basis, how much potential we're leaving on the table when athletes like yourself and other professionals don't have the opportunity to run with their teammates and to do workouts and long runs together week in and week out. Because I do think that there is an undeniable impact from practicing together and yeah. getting the most out of, each, out of each other that way. When we were running together and we've always talked, we've always talked about this. Like this has been like one of like the cornerstones of our like totally discussions um, and our friendships is like, there is this undeniable like push you get when you're doing a run or a workout with somebody, um, whether, cause you're, we're all strong in different facets of running. And so like when you're chasing somebody on the flat and they're chasing you on the down, like you're pushing each other to a point that you wouldn't be able to achieve. Yep. Alone. Um, and I think that it's like it, the, the benefits for that are incredible. Um, finding yeah. it's a little harder. <laughs> yeah. Well, this segues into my next question. Um, I'm fascinated by commitment, by dedication, by all the trade-offs associated with trying to be excellent at something. Um, as a pro runner, can you talk about how you've oriented other areas of your life in order to prioritize running and to be successful? Yeah. So it's interesting because 
prior to like hopping on the podcast, I read the newsletter and your quote on the newsletter was, um, or like your shout out was to all the people who live an unbalanced life. Um, and so like, that's that was me. a hot take. <laughs> that was a hot take. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I agree with it. Cause like there has to be, so, there is a fixation on something when it comes to that sort of dedication. Um, and then I think to me it was under like realizing how that, drive translated to all other aspects of my life and not just like one sport. Um, Cause it is unbalanced. Like the drive itself is very unbalanced. Um, but that seeing that it applied to other facets of my life as well and being able to then channel it in different ways. Um, and like to me taking like a step back um, this year with the injury and then like an autoimmune diagnosis, um, yeah. it kind of was like a realization like, okay, like, running for me isn't going to be this like lifetime thing of competing at this like level. It's, it's it hasn't been shortened dramatically, but like it is now shorter than I envisioned it. You have a moment in uh, time. Yeah. And so to me that it realized like, Oh, okay. Like running, like I can, I have my physical drive of running. And so like, I'm obviously dedicated toward that. I have my career and I have my friends and family. And like, I am driven to like, be the best I can be in all three of those aspects um, and not just one. And so it's kind of like dispersing the, the, I guess the, the intensity to three different things or like the, my priorities. Um, Cause then finding the time just kind of slid into place. Like it, it wasn't like I was forcing or like carving out time as people say, cause it's such an aggressive analogy to me, like <laughs> carving out the time to run. It's like, no, the, the time to run should just kind of flow. Like it should yeah. just be like the state where like, you run or you work and then you run and then you're with your friends or your family. Like it should just be like this flow of like progression throughout the day. Yeah. Um, as compared to feeling like you're chunking out or carving out yeah. a chunk of time or you're, or you're sacrificing somehow. Yeah. No, it should just be a flow. Like, and so for me, it was just like finding out like the, my main priorities and then like saying like, okay, this is how I want to prioritize my life. Like these three things. And then it kind of just fell into place afterwards. Yeah. Uh, sleep's been a little harder prioritizing sleeps now kind of coming back up. Um, but yeah, like aside from that, it was just kind of like really, um, I think like to bring it back to Nietzsche, um, he says the man who has the why can weather anyhow. And so, Hey, can I borrow that quote for the newsletter next week? (laughs) And so like, if you find your whys, then the how fills it, fills itself in. And so it's really taking the time to sit back and like, just think about why you're doing what you're doing or pursuing what you're doing. And like the, why you want to do these things in your life and like why these things mean so much to you. Because if you find your why, the how typically is the easiest part to fill in. Yep. Um, So yeah, I hope that answers question. Oh, it totally does. So I had Mario Fraioli on the podcast about two weeks ago. And one of his recommendations to the audience was pay attention to what you pay attention to. And mm-hmm. from there, you can analyze what's causing you stress, what's uh, what you're sort of w- working up against. And by doing that, by doing that exercise, you can more easily find the activities that naturally bring into flow state. And yes, I'm in total agreement. And that Nietzsche quote is awesome. So the next question is it, it, it's there's multiple parts here. We'll take it one at a time, but yeah. I'm absolutely fascinated by the world of, of sponsorship and pro athletes in our sport, because I think in a lot of ways it's a black box and, you know, you don't have to 
talk about everything here. I know you have contractual obligations and stuff, but what's it like to have support from a major brand? What have you realized in this process that maybe wasn't readily apparent prior to working with like Solomon and Satisfied and some of these other brands? Um, it's so like, this is such a multifaceted question. Um, and it also comes from the point where like, I've been able to analyze this as an athlete sponsored and like comparing it to my time as an unsponsored athlete. Um, and so it comes from obviously like a different perspective. Um, and it, having the support from these companies is honestly, it's incredible. Um, I, yeah. like, it was like a pipe dream of mine. Like, I feel like I still feel like sometimes I stumbled into it. Like, I, I honestly don't know the how behind everything some of the time. Um, and so like, I, it's one of those things where like every day, just, I, I feel like the luckiest dude sometimes, like when I wake up, like, it's just yeah. like, holy shit, like I can do this. Um, like my hobby has now become something I can make money with, um, and it pays for itself and it's free. Um, and to me, that's like the greatest gift is like, okay, I don't, I don't have to worry about, I don't have these stressors about my, my joy in life. Like the joy is there and it's provided to me. Like the resources are provided to me. Um, and like, I've been really fortunate where like, I've been very intentional with developing relationships, um, between me and the, the, the companies that support me. And so like, I, I definitely feel like I'm valued as an individual and not just as, another athlete or a box to check. Um, and in doing so, like, I can also be more honest with them, um, and like my expectations and also like what I'm willing to do and not do, um, as an athlete. And so like, it it is, I feel very fortunate in the fact that like, I feel very supported as like an individual. And so I haven't had this, this crisis of like, Oh, I have to perform. It's like, Holy shit. No, like I'm happy every day I get to go out and run. And like, when I race, I get a race under this banner that I never thought I would be racing under. And it's like this incredibly joyful experience. Um, so it's been a very freeing, endeavor um also to bring it back to the team you have the team accountability now so it's a very good intrinsic motivator to an extrinsic motivator to just be like okay no it's like there's people counting on me um not relying on me but counting on me yeah um and so like that's a very cool carrot to have because it does harken back to like the soccer aspect or like the ski aspect like you have your team and like the team is comprised of all of these different pieces who bring something to it but you have to bring your best piece to make it cohesive. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Well, to get in the weeds a little bit, what does the communication look like with, with these brands like Solomon, for example, like how often are you in contact with your athlete manager and how are you mapping out seasons and, and training schedules and travel? Like, what does that all look like? Yeah. We actually just went, I just went through my next, uh, round of this with our athlete manager. So it's like fresh on my mind. Um, we mapped out my next year's race schedules, all of that thing. Um, as well as like the bonus schedules and like what races they want to see me in. Um, Solomon's really cool, especially with North America is that, uh, we're a very small team. Yeah. Uh, we're only about like 20 people, which people like don't actually really consider like, no, like we're a very tight knit team. Is it all trail? Uh, well, Noah Drotti is now the new face. That's, right. That's um, right. Sorry, but I just saw that yeah. yesterday. Yeah. So Noah Drotti's now like we're doing a little push toward the roads as well. But yeah, most of the others are trail or like mountaineering athletes too. Like Noah Broddingham, we have Alex Krellin, yep. uh, Karen Hunt-Smith, Olivia Amber, like a bunch of different like varied athletes as well as like Max King, Jamil Khoury, um, Mike McKnight. So it's yep. like a very um, holistic team. Yeah. 
like diversified. Just, yeah, very much so. Um, but yeah, like I, I feel like I'm in contact with our athlete manager fairly consistently, like more is just like a friend than anything else. Uh, and so like, that's pretty cool. Just like, Hey, like, what do I need to do? What do I not need to do? I need a pair of shoes. What do you need for me? Um, things like that for racing. Um, largely it's hands off. Like they obviously want us to do certain races. That's why we have race bonuses. Yeah. Um, and so, but they're not going to force us to do those races. Um, yeah. but for me, it's like, it just happened to be the, the races that I wanted to do this next year lined up with what they wanted to see, um, which is nice. Um, and so it's just like a very, it was a very seamless process again, where I was kind of like very lucky to have just like, not feel like I was forced and just like, they ask us what our goals were, what we wanted to improve on. And then next year, like what our race schedule wants to look like and then how they can help. Um, yeah. What is, what does 2022 look like? Are you able to say yet? Yeah. Um, so 2022, I start off with black Canyon. Um, okay going back to black Canyon, um, which is where I tore the Achilles last year. So I definitely like, I became infatuated with, uh, the course actually, which I wasn't expecting from the race. So tell me about that actually. Cause I mean, obviously it's a high prestige race. A lot of great athletes go there, but what makes the course cool? Um, I was just blown away by the Saguaros, like running through these like miles of these like 10 to 20 foot tall saguaro cactuses and like growing up in the Sierra Nevada forests and then living in the Wasatch in Colorado, you don't have cactuses that are 20 feet high. No, we have no cactuses. We have sagebrush for the most part. Um, and so like, to me, it was just this like baffling landscape and then seeing the barrel cactuses and then the different like layers of sedimentary rock as you like continue to go toward Phoenix and then how the cactuses get denser as you move down. Um, it just, to me was just geologically stunning. Like it was something I'd never seen before. Um, and something that's like so, so cool to experience in that like race on your feet movement, like sort of like flow. Yep. Um, cause it's like, it's such a visceral experience to be like seeing a new landscape in a race format Cause it's like, there's so many emotions that heighten the experience. Um, and so like, to me, like that just like blew my mind, um, when I was down there last year. Um, and so, yeah, definitely excited to go back to that. Um, Sonoma again, going back for the 50 miler in April. Well, one second, are you racing for a ticket at black Canyon? Hopefully if everything lines up. Yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. Uh, that's the goal. So it was then between Sonoma and canyons, um, but I, if black Canyon didn't work out, I wasn't going to try to force anything this year. Um, then Sonoma, uh, in April and then June, if everything works out, who knows, um, yeah. it's going to be broken arrow or hopefully States. And then July and August looks like the golden trail national series for Solomon. Um, the Quebec mega trails, Whistler Alpine meadows, um, and then potentially, run rabbit run 100 in September. Um, that one's a little more up in the air, especially if it's post States. I don't want to like really dig myself into a hole. Yeah. Um, but if States doesn't happen then that's definitely the focus, um, I really want to get back to a hundred and then it'll be, um, spacing, uh, Flagstaff. Like the sky peaks race. Yeah. Flagstaff sky peaks. Yeah. Um, in October and then hopefully golden National Series um, in the end of October. 
That's so, not like a theoretical. Like that is, that's a baller schedule, but noticeably absent from that schedule is the Tahoe Rim Trail. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, and for anyone, uh, for the audience that isn't aware, uh, one of Logan and I's most memorable experiences was a ton of miles on the Tahoe Rim Trail back in the summer of 2020. He was going for the FKT, and I was just curious to see if he was going to go back for another attempt. I will. Um, but having done it, it, it was incredibly humbling with everything that happened. Um, and so I want to do it feeling like it's the right time to do it. Um, which means it'll be an end of the season. I like with, especially with the wildfire smoke, that's now becoming just a season out here in Tahoe. Yeah. Um, I, I don't feel comfortable locking down a weekend in July or June. Um, it also like, that's such a big effort that like, uh, you don't recover for that. Like your whole summer is then wiped, uh, in terms of like performance potentially. So if I did it again, it would be in October, um, okay. of next year. And that's just because the weather's cooler. Um, the fire season's done. And then depending on the race season, like I'll have a good base. Um, but yeah, it's still, it's gonna, it's the, it's my whale, dude. It's my white whale. Well, I mean, uh, I think October's great. Like Corinne, Corinne did it in October, right. When she set the FKT for the women's. So that's a great time here to do it. Yeah. Her and I've talked about it. It depends like on the, the, the weekend because you can get super cold chills yeah. during those like higher especially like where we went through like with desolation like it can get cold yeah. back there so it's this pros and cons of like well you won't have heat stroke but you have limited water sources because everything's dried up yeah. and it's now colder so you have the potential of like having to bring more layers and carry more gear so there's this trade-off of what would you rather have cool yeah well, starting off with Black Canyon, I'm stoked to see the the training buildup for that. And we'll link to your Strava in the show notes too. So anybody that's curious to see what that looks like, they'll they'll have the day-to-day. And you got some of my favorite write-ups in the Strava game too. So hopefully the, the song lyrics stay strong and the report oh, stay strong. Forever, dude. Forever. Since day one with the Strava and the song lyrics. I guess like one out of every 10 songs and I'm always stoked <laughs> when I get it. Um, couple more questions here. And these questions, I'm asking these because I think that there are always people in the audience that are listening that you know might have an outside shot at getting a contract and they're fascinated by what it could be like to be a pro athlete. Um, you have a legal background and I think that this serves you incredibly well in the negotiation process. And I'm wondering what advice you have for up and coming athletes when it comes to negotiating their contracts. Yeah. So this is going to be with the typical legal preference of this is not legal advice. <laughs> Of course not. <laughs> yeah. This is not legal advice. So don't take it as such. Um, but yeah, well, like for me, like, again, I, I feel like I stumbled into the sport. I stumbled into this, the contract. Like, I, I feel like I've just kind of like blundered my way into where I am. Um, and I think it comes from never saying no to an opportunity when the opportunity arises and also yeah. always putting myself out there, um, regardless on the outcome and just stepping up to the plate and then taking a swing. That's really what matters. Um, is as long as you take the swing and you step up to these objectives, people, people do notice and they latch on. Um, and if you're authentic about it, uh, I, I was reading an interesting article. Um, I'm spacing on like where I was reading it the other day, but um, it was essentially like the allure of artist. And I think it comes from the idea is profit is that it comes from the, their unabashed um, self-expression 
and like the, the fact that they're concrete in who they are and they express it as such. And I think yeah. we're all searching for our own forms of self-expression as a society. So like when we see people who have self-awareness and they express themselves genuinely and authentically, we latch onto that, hoping that we maybe glean some sort of answer or topic or facet of our own identity from theirs. Um, and so if you're just like truly genuine about who you are as an individual um, and just express yourself as such, which is so hard to do, like, like I said, we're all trying to clamor to those people. But like, if you look at running Steve Prefontaine, Anton and Jim are like three, like the three waves of running in the U S they're all have been unapologetically themselves in that sport. And so they have this background and they have this like following for those reasons. Um, Yeah. Like when you're one second, I got to give you a salute there. That was a great response. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're stepping up to if you have the opportunity, like don't ever count yourself out from having these opportunities. Um, like I said, I never thought I would. And yet here we are, um, a year, a year later. Um, and so when you have those, like be genuine with who you are, like speak up for the things that you believe in. Um, if it doesn't feel like it's the right connection, don't force the connection for the sake of having a signed contract. Um, Cause that's something you're locked in on. Like that is now legal obligation as soon as you sign a contract. Yeah. Um, and if you're miserable, then it, it translates into running. Like I said, like I've been so happy because I've just been really lucky with my connections. Um, and so be very honest with yourself about, is it the right fit? Do I feel comfortable? Um, are they asking too much? Are they asking too little? What do I bring to the table? Um, and just having like a very hard internal, like, time of reflection about like whether or not it's the right thing. Like, is this going to bring me joy? Is this going to make something I've put so much pressure on even more pressure? Um, things along those lines. And then also stand up for yourself, but also don't stand up for yourself too much because as a company, there's always somebody else that they could pick. So if, if you put a sour taste in their mouth, they can easily just move on to the next person. Um, so be humble because like, it is a very big opportunity and like they're presenting you with the opportunity to do something that most people dream of. Um, so don't try to oversell it or haggle too hard. Um, ha- like definitely stand up for yourself, but don't drag it through the ringer. If you don't feel, if you're trying to milk and dime every little detail out of it. Yep. Um, which is why you have to have that internal conversation about like where you think your worth is and the influence this is going to have on you. Well, a couple of things you said there reminded me again of that conversation between Anton and Dylan. And I think Dylan asks Anton, like, did you really want this massive audience? And Anton's like, well, there's a part of me that hates the fact that I've been misinterpreted over the years and I have this stereotype attached to me. But then I also was putting out this blog on the daily and the weekly. And I was putting myself out on all these social channels. And so a part of me, yeah, did want it. I think to, a, to the point you've made here, I think one question to ask yourself, if you're coming up in the sport is, do you want an audience? Is that something you want? And if the answer is yes, then when you come to these brands and they give you a chance, it's simply a chance to be yourself to a bigger audience. And then to kind of like add to that, it's the why. Like, why do you want an audience? Um, is it for personal validation? Is mm. it to propel a message? Mm. Is it to make money? 
because that also translates to how it'll impact your sport. Like to bring back to Adam Merriman, he had a, he had a wonderful post the other day um, about running as a BIPOC athlete and he mm-hmm. runs a scene and to portray this message within a community um, that I've, I love that. And so it's like, he, he has the why um, with the audience. And so I think it's, it's very important to ask yourself, why do you want the audience aside from potentially the, few likes you get on your Instagram post or the few thumbs up you get on Strava. Yep. Yeah. I think ideally you have something to say that benefits a large number of people. You're trying to push a message. You're trying to push the culture in a certain direction. Um, I think, you know, I'd be lying if I said that personal validation wasn't in it to some degree too, because we're all human. We all have an ego. Yep. We're all trying to suppress it. Uh, yeah. Psychedelics can only take you so far in that area. <laughs> But yeah, no, that dude, that's a great answer. That's cool. I think the last question I want to ask in this area is now that you're in it and you're working with these major brands, how much emphasis do they place on race results versus being a thought leader versus providing a certain amount of reach and awareness for the products? Yeah. Um, so the, we all have to be honest with what a sponsorship is. It's, it's a marketing tool. Um, for any company, uh, they're putting money and resources into you as an individual to promote their product because they see something in you um, that they think will appeal to people um, in mass. Um, so we have to be very upfront with like what that it is. It's not just like a blank check yeah. um, from a company to to do a sport. Um, with Satisfy, it's just it's family. Like there's there's it's just like oh what you're doing is sick. The way you think is sick. Like the way like, when we talk, it's like, we talk in like the ethereal. Um, and so it's allowed me to flex a little bit more of my creative side, which has been phenomenal. Like with Mo um, Locker and his photography with Adam um, Voidoid and his write-ups, like we we've been able to create this like artistic development of running and like kind of use that to kind of like push. And I see satisfied pushing the bounds, of, like the culture, as you said, with yeah. like, them blending art history like it was especially with their newest drop with runner's world and the repossessed drop like with eft's like they're blending in the old with the new and then creating it in an artistic way that's palatable i mean but also pushing running in a direction that like we didn't think was possible like look at michael versteeg um with his contract with them and like his phenomenal race performance this year with cocodona but then also with the colorado trail um that guy is so cool um, yeah. And like, it's obvious, like it's, that it's the message for them. Um, and to me, I think that's so huge because oftentimes like we, we do lose sight of a lot of those like deeper conversations and like the influence of art and culture within running, which I think is very important. Um, Solomon, again, it's been phenomenal. Like they haven't, it hasn't really been pressure. Like obviously there's pressure to perform because it looks good. Yeah. Um, as a thought leader, I don't, I don't know if I would be a thought considered a thought leader. Um, I think people on the team like Jamil Khoury, Lauren Fleshman, um, Dakota Jones, like according to Walter, Maxine, like those are thought leaders. Like those are people that are who we read their words and it's like, okay. They sit down, like they try to enjoy it like a meal. Yeah. Think about what they're consuming. Um, and so I think it's kind of like they bought into your story if they're 
putting you as an athlete. And I think that your story kind of combines all of these different facets as performance, an individual, your role in a community, the way that you're perceived by the running community and the community at large. And so it's a holistic pitch picture that everyone should keep in, in mind when, when trying to pursue this, if you are trying to pursue this, um, because yeah, it, it is going to be one of those things where, um, it's your story that they bought into, um, and your performances with that story. And so don't lose sight of that as well. Um, again, it comes, comes back to like that being genuine about like why you're doing it, what you're doing. Um, because it's, it's a holistic picture in my mind. I love that. Maybe one of the parting thoughts in that thread is work on self-actualization first. And then once you self-actualize, you're going to be ready for whatever at the sponsorship level. It's a process. I don't know. Um, like I said, it, it's nice. Um, again, if it's your end all be all, don't lose sight. Like don't put everything into performance. I think. Mm-hmm. That could be like my biggest takeaway is if you're pursuing it, don't put everything into performance because there's incredibly fast people out there and talented people who aren't sponsored. Yeah. Like develop yourself outside of the the thing you do one to two hours a day because there's still 22 hours a day that you're doing something else. Yep. And how can you leave the sport better than you found it? You know, and then try to identify elements of the sport that you think are missing that you think you can provide. Yeah. Again, um, for the, the quest for self-actualization. Totally. Totally. Okay. A couple more conversation threads here before we go to the lightning round. We were oh. talking offline and uh, deciding what we should cover in this episode. You entertained this idea of the passion paradox, which I think is really cool because as it relates to racing, especially there's all sorts of viewpoints out there about like what you should do on race day and how you should train and stuff. So can you talk about this fine line between smart racing and passionate racing and and training efforts and the pros and cons of each? Yeah. So I think like the conversation like always sticks out in my mind when I think about this is like when it was me, you and Jimmy running down, um, mill D having this very, very conversation about like passion versus planning. Yes. Um, like the logic versus emotion, emotions, which is like the most unlogical thing. In the world. Um, and like, I've always raised with my heart on my sleeve and that's something that's like, has taken me a while as I, I think, I don't know if maturing is the right word. Maybe it's just like understanding that like, I can't just keep racing with my heart on my sleeve from the get go. Like there has to be some sort of logic behind it. Um, but yeah, so like for me, you have to, have some sort of like passionate connection to the race or the effort you're doing. Um, I think this is like the fundamental thing of like, we are inspired as athletes. Cause like Anton loved the word inspired um, with his interview with Debo. And I, I really kind of resonated with that because it's like our sport is largely mental. Um, especially if you're doing like hundred K hundred mile plus distances, you're with yourself for so much of that time in your head. Um, so if you have any mental chinks, they're going to, they're going to show, and then it starts to wear down and it breaks down that armor. Mm. So if you're not attached to the area or the race. Um, if you're not in inspire, uh, inspire, like again, Anton had this paradox with inspired too, that I find I resonate with too. Um, but if there's not some sort of attachment to the effort itself, you're going to find reasons not to be there. It's just human nature. 
especially mm. when it starts to suck. Um, so like, if you're like, for me, it's like going back to black Canyon. It's a, like, for me, like I'm attached to that course. Like there's something there, there's the allure Sonoma, there's the allure for me. Um, yeah. there's, there's a little bit of myself and like passion in those areas that I can, that I see. Um, so that's why I've chosen those races. Um, like States, I grew up in Tahoe. So we used to grow up watching the start of States. So it's yeah. like, to me, like that tie. Um, and then with training, it comes down to, you have to, you have to care about the sport and the act of running, um, on a, on a passionate level to even start to think about planning. Cause if you, if you're not willing to just run, like run every day, then the planning becomes so hard because now you're forcing yourself to do these things. Um, and so for me, it's like this hard line between like, okay, is there like, should we encourage these like well thought out training plans or should we encourage a little bit more of like the why, like the passion behind the running? Um, like if you feel good run or like being honest with yourself as compared to like trying to stick to these regimented plans. Um, and this is like nature versus nurture, but for yeah. running. Yeah. And so it's like, it's in, that's why I said it's the paradox is because like, obviously planning has its place. Like you have to, like, if you're looking at a race, you want to hit like your mileage, your training, your workouts, things like that. But in doing so, if you've lost the passion of the sport, like the why you run by the time you get to the race, there's something already working against you, even if the fitness is there. Um, mm. but it's also the other way where like, if you only run on passion with no logic, then your training can be scattered. And so then you show up to a race, you can be fully passionate about it, but then you're not prepped physically, physiologically. So it's like, how do we have these two kind of like blend together in a way? Um, I don't know for me, it was taking a step back. Like I said earlier in the podcast, um, like this summer I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder that causes, uh, tumors to build up along nerve and muscle cells. Um, I have about like 120 on me ranging from the size of like small marbles to ping pong balls. Um, I had about 30 removed. So like my future is just progressive surgery. The disease is degenerative, but it's progressive. Um, and so like they're benign, but cancer runs in the family. And so it's a thought. Um, and so it's just, for me, that was like a big, like with the torn Achilles and then studying for the bar, I was like, Oh fuck. Like what, what, like, what is this act? Like, why am I doing this act? Mm. Like all of a sudden, like I was forced to contemplate the fact that like, it is very finite. Um, and I think that's another good thing to kind of like just remind people too, um, with contracts and like sponsorship is that like, it, it's much like life. Like we all know at the end of life, we die. We don't know when that's going to happen, but we all know we die. Contracts end. Yes. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it, but they do end. There's no lifers who are contract athletes. Um, and so it's just realizing that like, it's a very finite window that you have at this place in your life. Um, and to just really soak it in and appreciate it um, for what it is, even if you're not smart. It's like the, for me, it became the realization that like running is just the privilege. Like the fact that my body is still able to go out and like run every day was just mind boggling to me. Mm. And to me, it's just like, okay, like I can do this every day. This is sick. I'm going to keep doing this every day for as long as I can. Um, and then the rest, like I said, fell into place. Cause it was like, that was my escape. That was my like privilege. It was when my mind was completely free from everything else going on. Um, 
And so it became again, like a, a rekindled joy for the act itself um, without the pressure of like, oh, I have to run to appease X, Y, Z and to do A, B and C. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let a lot of that stand on its own because that was just so beautifully said. The one thing I'll say, and I'll take a dig at our our friend Jimmy here, I do think it's emotion over logic and not logic over emotion. I think that logic is just a justification of our emotions, but Jimmy's a really good friend, one of my best friends. And this is an invitation for him to come on the pod to defend that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Jimmy knows that I'm with you. Um, I definitely fall on the more emotional side of things, uh, especially because like, again, the way that I view running is an art form. Um, and it's an expression of self through the medium of movement. And so if there's no emote, like art is not logical. Art is emotive and it should be emotive. Um, and so for me, it's like the running in the way that like I've always raced is like, I lay it all out there. And oftentimes it's always ended up fucking biting me in the ass, like 99% of the time, but at least it's out there. Yeah. And it was emotive. Like I, I put my emotions out there. Um, and so like, that's another reason, like, why I race the way that I do sometimes is because like, there's a lot of emotions out there. Um, much like art, like you put it all out there and sometimes like a painting or like an album, people like it, people, it resonates with them. Sometimes it falls short. Sometimes you paint half a canvas then end up tearing it up because it wasn't the right display. And you've talked about this earlier in the show, like we're in an era of the sport where this is just the culture, the way you race, the way Jim Walmsley races, like wearing your heart on your sleeve, putting it all out there, that Icarus style, like it's just where the culture is right now. And it's awesome because it's a way to show differences over the years and the decades. And it's what makes the sport cool right now. Yeah. I, but I will say like, if you look at Francois and Jimmy, their performances right. are consistent and yeah, and consistently excellent. Yeah. yeah. So I will, I will give that the credit of like, there is something to be said with, with logic, but again, it just comes down to the why on the individual level. If logic resonates with you, let logic work. Sure. If emotions resonate with you, let emotions work. Like just lean into that as compared to trying to force it mm-hmm. for the sake of trying to like conform to what you think the sport should be or how success is defined. We're going to go into the lightning round now. Um, I'm going to preface this first question by flattering you. I think you have some of the best taste inside and outside of running. I, for example, I have this kettle, I think it's called a felt kettle. And I just asked Logan, like, dude, how do I make good coffee? Get this felt thing. I'm like, okay, cool. Same thing with fermentation. I mean, where I'm going with this is, uh, what are some current foods or devices or whatever that you're jamming on right now that, uh, not only I can benefit from, but the listeners can too. I don't have mushroom kick food wise. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Like oyster mushrooms and lion's mane mushrooms, saute them up with just a little bit of garlic, butter, salt, and pepper. Holy shit. Fantastic. Uh, I don't know why I've been sleeping on the mushroom game for so long. Um, that has been huge, um, for me for food wise. Um, again, with the autoimmune things, food has become very limited. It's a very regimented diet, um, which has been interesting, but mushrooms, incredible. Like, Hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, I, love, I love mushrooms. Yeah. So good. And uh, outside of, oh man, I'm trying to think like, again, like I kind of like really pull back. Like I, I bought a moleskin binder at the beginning of summer to journal in. Okay. And honestly, like the moleskin binder and like a nice pen 
have have been like my jam <laughs> lately. I have always wanted to, to go down that rabbit hole, but I'm so ashamed by my penmanship. Like I can barely even read my own writing. I, mean, I don't know. You know. Yeah, I was the same way. It's like, well, I'm like writing down. I'm like, this is so stupid. Why am I writing this? I'm like, well, well, who's gonna who's gonna who's gonna come into my cabin and open up my book and like sit down and like judge me for this? I was like, nobody. I was like, oh yeah, okay, cool. I'll just keep writing. Um, that and then I'm trying to think what else has been kind of like a big one. Um, actually, like a little tiny spiked recovery ball for the bottom of my feet yeah do it every morning and every night and like sometimes i have bad planner especially like with the transition from like winter into summer where like i've been running a lot on the treadmill and then it goes to road and then it goes to trail and like a lot of people kind of struggle with this heel planner pain but i bought this like little tiny ball on like amazon for like 12 bucks and it's, it's kind of like a mini lacrosse ball with little spikes on it and i just roll my foot out every day and like that's been gone so wow. Yeah, for recovery, I think that's been like my biggest game changer. And then like those bands that you see at the gym, like all the moms use. Yeah. Um, I've been do- I've been doing band work and a lot of my like glute and like IT issues have, have gone away. So there's those have been like my two big recovery tools. Um using them more as preventive measures than the typical like PT retroactive application. I dig it. We'll put this all in the show notes too. Uh, what is a recent book, movie, or podcast you've consumed recently that has changed the way you see and interact with the world? The Overstory. I've heard about this book. What, yeah. what is this all about? So oh, the, the writing is goddamn beautiful. Um, it's this like fictional um, story about like different people. So it's told from different perspectives throughout the book about conservation, but all of their stories tie together okay. and the quest toward like how nature has impacted their lives, um, their struggles and how nature um, in particular, certain trees have been really defining to them and like kind of shaped their life and their, pro- their progression. Um, and they all end up meeting and like the culmination in the story is beautiful. Um, but to me, it like really changed the way that I, like the way that the author writes is like, it made me realize and like look up when I was running, like instead of just looking at the trail, like looking up into the overstory is the tops of the trees. We have the understory, which is the roots, the story, which is our eye line and then the overstory, which is the tops of the trees. And he, he, he says, we oftentimes get too fixated on what is in front of us that we forget that a tree is made up of so much more. Um, and so it just really changed the perspective I had with like my interactions with nature and like running through nature. Like I actually went out and like, I bought a few guidebooks from the Sierras and I like, when I was injured, I like went out, um, behind the cabin up the trails, like a book on birds and a book on native plants. And like, just taught myself like as much as I could about like the area around me. Um, just cause it really resonated this like idea of like, we as humans so oftentimes forget what is around us and we lose sight of that picture and we lose sight of the fact that like the tree outside my cabin is probably a hundred 200 years older than i am but i i don't ever think about that um and like the lessons that we can learn from just watching nature kind of like move around us i think you're the third runner runner that has endorsed this book i'll put it in the show notes but i got to get this yeah uh, are there any athletes current or historical that aren't on Strava that you wish you could see the training logs for, uh, Prefontaine. Yeah. Hands down Prefontaine, just curiosity. Like I said, he was so brash, but I loved it. I just wanted to see what his training looked like. 
was it high mileage? Was it like, I'm sure if we delve deep enough, we could find it, but like, I haven't delved deep enough, but like, I, I would be, I would be curious to say the least about what, what his training looked like. I want to see Scott Jurek from like 1999 to 2005. I want to see what those buildups to Western States looked like. That would be in Seattle too. Anyways. Yeah. We can dream. Last question. I'm stealing this one from Tim Ferriss. If you could put a message on a highway billboard for all to see, what would it say? Uh, man. Okay. So this one actually had me like, when you put this in the email, this one had me flustered. Um, (laughs) cause I had a knee jerk reaction that popped into my mind. And I was like, that's, Oh no, (laughs) that, that can't be it. And then like, I tried to like whittle it down to like a little bit more PC, but like, then it came back. Okay. I'm just going to give you the answer that I came right to mind. Got it. No one gives a shit. Um, and you, uh, you can be as nihilistic or cynicism, or you can call me a cynic as much as you want. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, there's what we do for an hour has no impact on other people for the most part. Um, and when you tell somebody you're a runner, they don't differentiate you from a 5k to a marathon runner to an ultra runner. They're just like, wow, what are you running from most of the time? Or like, that's where you are. Um, and so oftentimes we put so much pressure on ourselves because we perceive that people put their weight behind this activity that we do, um, as individuals. But at the end of the day, like, and like, this is just across the life, like what you do in your day to day, 99% of the people you ask on the street, they don't give a shit. And we put so much pressure to conform to what others perceive our, ourselves as that we lose ourselves in that process. And you got to remember that, like, again, no one gives a shit because they're all trying to figure their own stuff out too. We're all just beings kind of like floating through the earth, trying to figure out our stories and our mark. And we don't really truly grasp onto other people's story unless we we're intentional about it. Um, so that to me, I think was like the most freeing, like realization this summer with running and like with the injury, it's like, Oh, I'm doing this because I want to do this like with all facets of my life. Cause at the end of the day, yeah. Smacking on the billboard. I'm so freaking glad you stuck with the knee jerk because yeah, I, I can see how some people would think that is a depressing thought, but to me, it's the most liberating thought of all time because then if no one gives a shit, you're just free to do whatever you want to do the work you think you're meant to pursue. I mean, it's just liberating. Yeah. That's exactly it. Like it, it removes so many of the pressures that we put on ourselves to conform to other people's perception of ourselves. That's like, why, like, why do we care what people walking down the street think about us? Like, obviously we have the relationships in our life that matter to us, but also those are the relationships where they don't give a shit. Like they support you no matter who you are, what you're doing. Um, and that's like the beauty of like those friendships is like, yeah, they don't give a shit. You don't give a shit. Like you guys are friends. So like, why are we putting weight on all of these other different perspectives on life that detract us from like what we actually want to do and like the way we want to do it. Um, so yeah, a very liberating thought. Okay. Well, dude, this has been an awesome conversation. Most importantly, thank you for making this an evergreen conversation. I think that people listening to this six weeks from now, six months from now, six years from now, we'll find value in it. So I think the lessons you've imparted have all time value. So thank you. Um, before we go, where can people find you on social and do you want to point them towards any particular links or initiatives you're working on? Uh, sure. Like my social media is the lawless runner. Um, 
for most of you who don't know, I take a very journalistic approach to it. Um, so it's not an athletic profile in, in the ways that you might think. Um, it's more of a journal on thoughts and feelings who, who with athletic tendencies. Um, Cause those are the reasons why I have pictures. I don't actually actively take pictures. Um, so uh, yeah, the lawless runner. Um, and then my Strava is just Logan Williams. If you want to see what somebody aspiring to, to run hard looks like um, it's a lot of easy runs with one or two workouts a week. So I don't know. I'm, I put it all out there. And so if you want to, if you want to take a look, take a look, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to I always try to respond um, to any questions anybody might have. Um, I try to be an open book. So yeah, we're, we're going to have one of the biggest show notes pages of all time here. So many <laughs> awesome references, dude, we miss you in Salt Lake. Like it was devastating when you left. And, uh, the next time you come through town, you have a guest bedroom to stay in. We'll do some of our classic runs here in the Wasatch and in the foothills. Looking forward oh, yeah. to seeing you soon. Yeah. I miss you guys too. Dude. Thank you until uh, next time. Sounds good. Love you, buddy. Hey, thank you again for listening. I know that there are a lot of podcasts out there in the world. And the fact that you listen to this one means a lot to me. And we're going to keep sending good content your way. If you liked what you heard, especially today, go give Logan a shout out on social media. I know he'd love to hear it. Um, As far as this show goes, the asks are the same as always. If you're a fan of what we do, please, please, please leave us a rating and review in your podcast player. It helps more people discover the show. Also, if you don't yet receive the Sunday newsletter, you can subscribe by going to finnmelanson.com. That's F-I-N-N-M-E-L-A-N-S-O-N.com. There is a box above the fold where you can input your email address, submit it, and you'll start getting additions this Sunday. Uh, Until next time.